evangelistic people sharing the good news to the world. Jesus never coerced people to become disciples. However, he constantly invited those he encountered to follow him. The church is called to be evangelistic, to proclaim both in word and deed the good news that the new creation has come. This too gets lived out in various ways. The church seeks creative ways to be an instrument of grace in our community. The church makes it a priority to disciple our children and young people in faith. The church extends the message to others and regularly invites people to enter into the waters of baptism. The church seeks to use every means possible, including, in our day, the use of technology to connect people to faith and to spur them on to discipleship. The church dreams, prays, and plans for the multiplication of new creation communities. The church invests resources and partners with the university to prepare a new generation of clergy and lay leadership. The church participates with the Church of the Nazarene and other mission organizations to extend the mission and reach of the Church of Jesus Christ around the world. If you have a Bible with you this morning, um, I would love for you to turn with me to two places. Originally meant for us to go uh, to an epistle text today from 1 Peter, the third chapter. And it is a great text and you should read it. Um, but this morning in the uh, early sacred rhythm service, when we came to the text that Grant read for us uh, just a few minutes ago, um, a text from Isaiah, the 52nd chapter, um, I, I had trouble getting through it this morning. And so I would love um, to go back to Isaiah 52, to just that first verse that was read, verse 7, and then we'll go to the gospel text today, which is Matthew, the 28th chapter, the last four verses of the gospel, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And so if you're with us this morning in person and able to, uh, I'd invite you to stand with me in honor of the Lord's word this morning. As we look at Isaiah 52, 7 once again, and then go to Matthew 28. How beautiful. Upon the mountains are the feet of a messenger who proclaims peace. Who brings good news. Who proclaims salvation. Who says to Zion, your God rules. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And look, I will be with you every day until the end of this present age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So 
So today uh, is the last Sunday of uh, kind of the Epiphany season or the season after Epiphany. Today was supposed to be the last Sunday in this uh, series we've been doing on the values and vision of a new creation. Because of some of the chaos of this month, uh, we're going to extend that one more week. I would love for you to be part of our Ash Wednesday service this Wednesday as we begin the Lenten season. But but I've taken the value of being uh, people shaped by the cross, and it just seemed to make sense. If we have to extend this a week, let's talk about that next week as we journey beneath the shadow of the cross. But today I, I want to talk about um, the vision and value that, that Grant just read on the screen uh, about being an evangel evangelistic people in the world. As I've been thinking about uh, these seven values and virtues and vision as we've been going through them, I, I've realized they kind of fall into three categories for me. The first one seems really central, that we are a holy people. In fact, uh, if you have the notebook, the, our little, uh, what the staff calls our little elevator statement, our, our short statement on our vision is really just an encapsulation of that one, that we are a holy people embodying the new creation, extending that to others. There's a second category, which is kind of how we are shaped together. And that is the two that have to do with that we are a people of a scripture-shaped imagination. And, and that's important, that we are a people who so dwell in the, the language and the vision of the scripture that it just, it just shapes everything we do and see and how we imagine ourselves in the world. And certainly we are people then who worship, a, a people who are who gathered together regularly, who recognize how... How often we are shaped by the cultural liturgies all around us each day, but want to intentionally then be rehabited or reshaped in worship. But especially these last few weeks, I've realized the other four fall into a category that I would say are, are kind of visions or values about a kind of posture that we as a community or we as a church have towards the world or a kind of posture that we have in our life together. So a few weeks ago, we talked about a posture of hope. Um, I have leaned hard on that one this week. Um, to have a posture of hope does not mean that bad things don't happen, nor does it mean that there aren't moments where evil rears its ugly head in the world and breaks out in some tragic and destructive ways. But it means that we are not a people then who go into that in despair. But even when we lament, as we have lamented and continue to lament, for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, as we lament, we don't do that without hope. We lament in hope, right? That posture of hope. And then last week, we, we thought about the posture of what it means to be a people who see the call to be the body of Christ as a body the world desperately needs, a people who, who, are, who form unity, but not out of uniformity like what the Tower of Babel was trying to do, but unity in the beautiful diversity of Pentecost that leads into that vision of revelation of people from every tribe and nation and language joining together, entering the holy city with their treasures before them. And, and that was a hard sermon last week, by the way. Um, and some of you were a little nervous for me afterwards, but I have to say, thank you for all the positive emails and letters and messages uh, this week. And, and thank you for leaning into that posture of what that means. But this morning, as we think about evangelism, I also think that has to do with a certain kind of posture. It has to do with how are we postured as a church 
Are we postured inward or are we postured outward? And I want to think again about the way, in some ways from the very beginning to the end, this gets narrated and reimagined in the scripture. In fact, I've been struck on each of these last four, including next week, the way in which early in the scripture, these various ways of thinking are, are framed, and I, please hear me say this, not incorrectly, but framed in ways that get reimagined as the scripture moves forward. And in particular, get reimagined as we enter into the prophetic tradition. And I'm, I'm taking week, week after week how especially the prophet Isaiah becomes so important in, in reimagining these very important ideas and values of what it means to be God's people. But that reimagination then gets fully embodied or filled full in the person of Jesus. And then Jesus extends that into his people, the body of Christ, and we live forward into an eschatological vision that Revelation kind of gives us of where this is supposed to go as we posture ourselves that way. Are you, are you with me? So this morning, as we think about evangelism, I actually want to think about, again, holiness or purity. So I, I did make a commitment this year, and it's something I haven't done in a long time. But I made a commitment, I, I was gonna, I'm going to read through the scripture this year, and I'm still there. It's almost a March, and I'm still hanging in, which is a big deal, because if you ever tried to do that about three chapters a day, you know you have to get through Leviticus to get there, and it shows up early. And so I'm, I'm squarely into Deuteronomy, about to enter into some of the other good stuff, but I made it through Leviticus and Numbers. And as I was going through Leviticus, though, I kept being captured by the imagination of holiness, and in particular, the imagination of purity and how purity shapes our relationship to God, especially in the Torah and especially in a place like Leviticus. So in the Jewish imagination, certainly God is holy, and that holiness makes God other than us, and that holiness is profoundly powerful and transformative, but in some ways so different than us, it's quite dangerous. This is clearly demonstrated when Moses encounters Jesus, or Jesus, when Moses encounters God at the burning bush. And as he encounters Yahweh at the burning bush, he has to take off his sandals. And as he approaches, it gets a little fearful. And the closer he gets to the holiness of God, the more potentially dangerous that is. And so in the Levitical imagination, God is certainly everywhere, but the unique, powerful, holy presence of God is there in the tabernacle or later the temple in the Holy of Holies. That's the place where heaven and earth are coming together. That's the place where the powerful holy presence of God is. And so where you get bogged down in Leviticus then is in order to get close to that, especially the Levites, those who have to kind of mediate between God and people and have to get really close to that holy presence, then you got to think about how pure do you have to be to get there. And there's all sorts of stuff that can make you unclean. Some of the stuff we eat can make us unclean. Some of the people we're with can make us unclean. Some of the really gross things our bodies do on a pretty regular basis can make us unclean. Touching dead stuff, <laughs> make you unclean. And so in Leviticus, you get these various kind of regulations that say, if some of that gets on you 
And by the way, it was kind of fun to read Leviticus after two years of social distancing from each other. <laughs> Much more sensitive to how contaminated we are with each other. But, uh, but if that happens to you, then you got to take a break and let some of that kind of go away. Or you especially have to go through some rituals that will then make you ritually clean again in order to be close to that presence. Now, I, I want to say, I don't know that that's wrong. In fact, there's a part of me that thinks as God's people go through that stage, it's important to understand the holiness of God in that significant kind of way. But again, when we get to the prophetic tradition, a new imagination begins. And in particular, I'll pick on Isaiah. In Isaiah, the sixth chapter, a strange thing happens. Isaiah has a vision and in his vision, he finds himself in that place of God's holiness. He finds himself in the Holy of Holies. And he immediately panics. Because first of all, he's not a Levite, he's a prophet. He's not done any of the ritual things to, in, in order to get in that room. And once he's in the room, he realizes, oh, I'm, I'm, and it's a fascinating metaphor, I'm a person of unclean lips, ugh. And worse than that, I'm with, I live among a people who have unclean lips. I'm in the totally wrong place. In the presence of the holiness of God, this is terrifying, not hopeful or life-giving. It's panic-stricken. But then the craziest thing happens. A seraphim flies in and takes a coal off the altar. And I would say the image is... As that coal flies towards Isaiah, we probably should hear like the theme music from Jaws. Boom, 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 boom. Like this is not necessarily a good thing that's coming towards Isaiah. This is just a hot burning coal of holiness from the altar of God. But it does the strangest thing. It touches Isaiah's lips. And rather than being a source of destruction, becomes a source of healing and empowerment so that Isaiah can now respond to the call of God, here I am, send me, and can go into the world out of the Holy of Holies as an instrument of the word of God in the world. Are you with me? Ezekiel, likewise, I think, I just want to make sure I get this right. Ezekiel 47, yeah. Ezekiel in the 47th chapter has also a vision of the temple, but in that vision, the temple has sprung a leak and there's water seeping out from the door of the temple and it is trickling out down the stairs of the temple. And as Ezekiel imagines it, the further out it gets, the more water it becomes and the faster it flows and the deeper that flow becomes. And that river begins to flow from the temple and the craziest thing begins to happen. Everywhere that water goes, life springs up. And in fact, in the most powerful part of the vision, the water flows all the way to the Dead Sea. And if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, you gotta go to the Dead Sea, right? Because you gotta float around. But it's dead, right? It's full of salt, that's why you float. Nothing really can live there well. But the imagination is that that water hits the Dead Sea and reverses its deadness. And all of a sudden the Dead Sea springs to life with all sorts of teeming fish and life and, and all sorts of growth all around it that brings healing even to places of deadness. 
You with me still? Jesus comes on the scene. As the embodiment of that holy of holies, as the place where heaven and earth are coming together, as John will say, the word became flesh and tabernacled, templed among us. Now, here's what's crazy. This holy reality of God entering into the world in flesh seems to care very little about being contaminated. In fact, the Pharisees, who are most shaped by those Levitical rules about contamination, cannot understand why he keeps eating with people who are ritually unclean and who have the potential to contaminate his life. And more than that, Jesus goes out into the world and he encounters people who are so deeply ritually unclean, like lepers. You can't touch them. You, this is the original social distancing. Like they have to be distant because if you touch, you get it. And then you can't touch anybody. But Jesus is not afraid to touch them. The woman who has had this years of bleeding, again, in the Levitical imagination, some of the things that happen in our bodies make us unclean. And here is this woman who is struggling from something that has made her so ritually impure, not afraid to either be touched by Jesus or for Jesus to have her touch him. And Jesus is not even afraid to touch dead people and bring life back. And so the imagination, if you will, is now Jesus, the very embodiment of holiness, is not concerned so much with being contaminated, but in a sense, holiness has broken out and is now transforming the world around it. And this is why I don't want to ruin it because we got seven weeks of Lent, the journey beneath the shadow of the cross. But if we skip to the end, at the crucifixion, the veil in the temple that divided these places of holiness from everybody is torn in two. And I know that we oftentimes celebrate that rightly, that now we can enter in. But to me, the power of that is not so much that we get in, but that whatever was in there got out. And so it's very possible on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, that I may say something like, Jesus is on the loose. Because he's on the loose, right? And now the Spirit in that Matthew text we read, Jesus is now giving the Spirit to his disciples and saying, now go. Yeah. Go into the world as this instrument of divine healing and reconciliation in the world. One of my favorite moments, who do you say that I am? Peter gets the right answer, you're Messiah. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father is in heaven. You are Peter and on this rock, I'll build my church. This is a great line. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's so great about the text is the gates of hell are not offensive weapons. Gates are defensive weapons. And Jesus is saying, Peter, the faith that you have built on me, that will go into the world and hell cannot survive that. Yeah. Carries forward through the early church into again, the imagination of Revelation in Revelation 21 and 22. This powerful picture is now there's nothing contaminated in the new creation. For everything now, has been transformed by the light of the Lamb that illuminates everything in the city of God. And like Ezekiel imagined, there's now a river that flows from the throne of God. 
that brings life and newness and from the leaves and fruits of the trees that grow from that water. Oh, thanks be to God, the nations are healed and a new creation begins. And so I say all that to say our posture towards the world is not one of honestly being fearful that we will be contaminated. And so it's not so much about how do we build walls of protection around us? How do we make sure that what's on them doesn't get on us? But we are a people postured in the hope and power of the resurrected Christ going into the world, bringing outposts of the new creation wherever we go. I think growing up, oftentimes I thought of evangelism simply as this thing's going down. Again, that's back to the hope sermon, but this thing's going down. We just got to get as many people in this lifeboat as we can before the ship goes down. Sort of Titanic eschatology. Or I thought evangelism is about convincing people of certain propositions. And I don't want to believe them, so you got to be really good at arguing. So it's probably best if you go to seminary before you give that a shot. Only problem is once you go to seminary, you become so irrelevant, you can't talk to anybody anymore anyway. <laughs> and, you, and you use such big words, people go, I, all right. Um, but everybody else who hasn't been there doesn't think they can argue well enough and so we don't help anybody. By the way, the best evangelists in the scripture are people whose lives were just transformed who go out and say, hey, my life was transformed. Come, and, and this is why I say in that statement, come, join the revolution. <laughs> enter into the waters of baptism and put to death the old life and enter into this new creation life, but then come out of the water and join a people dressed in white, ready to go into the world, proclaiming the good news of God. I think part of the reason that Isaiah text was so meaningful to me today is this week just a reminder of so many situations in our world where the feet that are coming over that mountain do not bring good news, but who bring oppression and violence and evil shaped by the very power plays and jealousies and selfishness that is so inherent in each of us broken and frail people. But oh, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of them who bring good news, who proclaim peace. And that's what evangelism is. It is going in the world. So I need you to listen faster. I, I want to talk about some really practical ways to do that. And I have to say, as, as I launch into these, some of my top strengths are a strange one, ideation and self-assurance. And basically what that means is I really like ideas and I can talk about ideas all day long and teach about them all night long. I love ideas. And I, I'm the kind of person who, when I hear about opportunity, my bent is to say, oh, totally, we can do that. That's why I have to surround myself with people who are strategic uh, and people who are good instigators of things. And this is why I'm, I'm going to drive my staff crazy this morning 
because I love to just verbally process. And so I'm going to throw some things out to you today. And if I were a better leader, when the service is over, I'd say, and now go to that table and sign up and go to that place and sign up. We'll get there. But I do think here are some of the ways I think this posture might help us to imagine who we are. Some of that has to do internally. A people who are postured towards evangelism recognize that one of the primary purposes and one of the key priorities for the people of God is the evangelization of our children. And that it matters to us that our young people know Christ and are transformed by the power of the Spirit. And I, I know that you know that. And I thank you for the ways that we are working at trying to be an intergenerational church and care about that. But can I say that that's actually really challenging. And again, our culture doesn't help us here. Our culture increasingly divides us as generations. You can just kind of see this when you go to somebody's home and all the kids are watching one thing and all the teens are watching another thing and all the adults are watching something else. By the way, you'll know that you're watching things meant for you. At least I feel this way these days. I, I know I'm watching things meant for me when all the ads are for reverse mortgages <laughs> and prescription drugs. Like I know, oh, oh, I am now watching stuff meant just for me. Um, A church that is oriented towards helping our young people develop in faith will require a maturity of the adults in the room that most communities don't have. Because it will mean not everything will be for you. Um, in fact, a lot of times we will make decisions not because they are more valuable, but because such a core conviction for us is if we fail to help our children grow in the faith, we will have failed as a community. And so sometimes in church leadership, I know this would never happen here, but sometimes when I'm talking to somebody and the words, but we're the ones who pay the bills come out of their mouth, I want to stuff them right back in. And say, listen, <laughs> We are a people who are committed to, to being intergenerational. And that doesn't mean you don't matter or your needs aren't met, but it means a community like this dreams and has visions about how do we help our young people grow into faith. Likewise, we are this unique place with college in our name that's been put right across the street. And so thank you for the ways that you've leaned into helping us, not just with future clergy leaders, but future lay leaders find places of service and grow. And part of what that means is most churches, even ours, is built really on an attractional model of ministry. I want you to like what happens here each week. But attractional models of ministry then increasingly have to become professionalized. And so everything we do has to be done by really experienced people. I mean, you don't want some rookie pastor. You want somebody with some miles on their car. <laughs> right? You want that. My forehead's getting big, but I, I, I have some laughs on me now. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Not the right place, but uh, yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
but part of being that kind of place means that, that we will give people the space to grow into the roles that we've given to them. And, and young people, especially going into ministry, I am convinced the most important thing that happens to them early on in ministry is not necessarily even the professors they have, although that's really important, but it is, is the first place they get to serve in ministry a positive one? And is it life-giving and is it affirming to them? And so thank you for being that for us. And we have to be a warm and welcoming place, a place of hospitality. And I know these last two years of COVID have really caused all sorts of dysfunction there because we aren't sure we should be near each other for a couple of years. But as things begin to open up again, we have really got to think about what it means for so many of you in this room and in this place to be greeters and ushers and folks who show up early and make sure there's a warmth, not just in the temperature, but in the emotional temperature of this place. That when people enter into here, they, they sense the welcome of God because they experience that welcome in you. And so over these next few weeks, we will be asking many of you to kind of make space for that and and give up some commitments that you're doing now in order to do some things that will help us be that kind of place. And, and we need folks who help us make sure there's safe spaces for children and all sorts of ways that you can serve in that way. But again, if we just do those things, we will still potentially be inwardly focused. And so our outward focus I think will cause us to have uh, some new practices. Uh, Friday night, uh, Deb and I went uh, to hear Philip Zimmerman speak. Um, Philip's uh, one of our young leaders in the German church. And he talked about uh, the church in action that he's a part of that, that is trying to figure out how to do church in a, um, in a post-Christian culture for the vast majority of the German population has no interest in church or coming to church. And if we're waiting for them to come, they're never gonna show up. And by the way, if we're only inwardly focused, we'll be really good at shuffling the faithful in the valley around. But outwardly focused people don't just think about how do we keep saints content, but how do we reach those who need beautiful feet to bring good news? And one of the things that they loved, and I'm just gonna introduce it to you, one of the things that they do so well is they think about each of their small communities as missional communities. And so he said, we have small groups, but here's what we do. The first week we meet together and we do Bible study and we pray for each other and we encourage each other. And the second week, every small group has a kind of project that they're working on to extend to, to the community, to be an instrument of grace in the community. And so we kind of do one week together and then one week out together in action in the community. I thought that was cool. And between you and me, no offense, but I thought a few of you, that could be really helpful. Like, I mean, no offense, but for some of you, the last thing you need is one more Bible study on Ephesians. Like, you, you pretty much got it down now. It's probably time for you to not hear the word so much as to do the word. And so I'm not going to do that, but I, I've really helped uh, Pastor Carly, Pastor Danny, I think can help us. If, if you're open to that, like finding out how your Sunday school class or small group, are there ways that you can become not just a community of support and care, which is very important. Please don't hear me say that, not that, whatever that is. Um, but how can we be missional in that way? I, I love um, the opportunity of these new creation communities. Let me quickly say, for some of you who are new, 
we do have a kind of extended site in Middleton. That came about this way a few years ago. Now, um, the district was really interested in planting a church over where Costco and um, where Chick-fil-A and all that is over there where you, where you can't get in and out anymore. Um, but so much, so a lot of housing going on and the church was really interested in planting a church. Deb was a long-term sub at, at uh, Canyon Desert Springs Elementary. And, uh, and so we thought, well, maybe we could plant a congregation there, plant a church there. So we got negotiations with the principal and she was really excited about it. But then we have the school district and the school district said, no, we're not gonna do that. Which by the way, now post COVID, I'm kind of glad that they said no to us. That, that might've been kind of chaotic. But in that no, the district said, hey, the Middleton church is in a place where they could kind of reimagine their future. They're about four miles out. Do you have any interest in partnering with them? And that's kind of how this came to be. We prayed together and thought together, dreamed together. Now Pastor Chelsea is our campus pastor there. And by the way, they really are us. So some, some of you who are confused, that building is now ours. That church is now part of College Church. Um, our ministries are shared together. That is us. I think if we had that to do over again, we would probably do some prayer ahead of time. And, and, and I do think that there, well, we did pray, that didn't sound right, but we were communally <laughs> together, dreaming together, recruiting together. Um, if the Lord speaks to you, it would be great if you would come over and visit every once in a while. If, if you did that, the Hills and some others have really been helps for us over there. But God's doing some great things, some young families there. That's exciting. I don't know where all that's going. Kind of tongue in cheek, uh, uh, one of the churches on our district kind of called and said, hey, how do we apply to become a new creation community? Um, I think they were joking. Um, I know that we have conversations every once in a while. Ryan and Ashley have been deeply involved in this wonderful group called Brown Like Me, and we've had conversations. Wouldn't it be interesting to start a new creation community, maybe the new creation community, the bridge, that would be an opportunity for these folks who really feel oftentimes disconnected from local churches to find ways of interacting together and becoming community. I have a dream every time I drive by Boise State University, I would love to take some students from the university and go over there and do something that was missional towards the students of Boise State. Again, I fly at 35,000 feet, that may never happen. And I don't know where God will take us, but I wanna be open to that if God leads us there. This online thing is crazy. I went kicking and screaming into that. Thank you for all of you who are with us online. COVID kicked us into that. We were not ready. Luke has been such an amazing help. Caleb's kind of jumped in and helped us. But I have to say every week, without exaggeration, every week I get a note, a message online, a letter, a phone call from somebody somewhere in the world saying, thank you for the online ministry. Um, there are people in our community that haven't really been able to be connected with us for a number of re reasons over the years who now feel more connected to us because of it. But people all over the place who will say, I've been with you this last year, or I've been with you these last two years and it's been transformative to me. It's been what I've needed right in the moment. I don't know if that's sustainable, frankly, and I don't know for those who, who don't have to do that if I even want it to be sustainable. For there's something about being together embodied that's important to the gospel. But I had an email a few weeks ago that scared me a little bit. It was an email from somebody way out who said, hey, we've been thinking about maybe starting a small group where we are. If that kind of goes, could we kind of be a new creation community? 
To which my answer was, yeah, don't tell anybody. <laughs> well, that violates every Nazarene rule there is. But, but you know, the book of Acts is God doing something in the church figuring out if it's okay. So I think we could live there. I don't know what God's doing with that, but I'm really grateful that in this moment, there's amazing testimonies of people who are being reached by it. And perhaps in our age where our cell phones will always be kind of an attachment to our body, maybe this is just part of the reality of who we are now. And I, I think there's so much for us to accomplish, not just in those ways, but for us to be a missional people internationally. I got to quit, but this morning, uh, my good friend, David Busick, who's one of our general superintendents, he and I were texting each other about what's going on in Ukraine. And he said, hey, if you share with folks today, here's what people need to do and pray for. Pray for the safety of the church and our leadership there. Many of our churches are being used as bomb shelters right now. They really could use finance and resource. And probably the best way to do that, food and money are very limited. Probably the best way for us to do that, Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, the website is NCM, NCM, Nazarene Compassionate Ministries, ncm.org slash Ukraine will take you directly to a page that you can give at. Pray for the movement of refugees. I don't know if you have been this, I've had to put a box of Kleenex with, next to me as I've watched the Polish people extend grace to so many of those refugees coming across the border. But there are men and women and children, women and children in particular fleeing country, the country for safety reasons. That's going to create a crisis for us, not just for the days to come, but probably for the years to come. And pray for the unity of the church. David says, Ukraine and Russia have many family and friendship ties. Um, and a lot of that has been severed or strained or, or maybe even those ties can be the source of a healing for those nations. And I just want to say, that's who we are. And our posture is outward. For certainly every Sunday, God breathes in and draws us close to him, calls us together. But then every week we are blessed and God breathes out and we are sent. And so our posture is always one of being missional in the world and being sent where we don't have to do everything because we're part of a body that edifies each other. But where we go into the world, less out of a fear of being contaminated than out of the optimism of grace that holiness can make all things new. I would love for us to close in prayer this morning. I know that we just have a few minutes left, but I would love to open these altars this morning. Maybe you would want to pray for Ukraine today. Maybe you'd want to pray for us in this interesting moment that God has given us, this time of disruption that's allowed us to kind of reframe who we are. And, and perhaps this is the moment God wants to shape us outward and do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. Maybe you're carrying a need today that you just need to give to God. I'd invite you to do that. There's an old hymn that we sing that goes like this. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase.
purchase of God, born of his spirit, lost in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Let's sing the next verse. Come if you'd like to this morning. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my soul. Almighty God, uh, we come uh, this morning in many ways filled with grief at, at the feet here and elsewhere that too often come across the mountain that do not bring peace or good news. but bring that which your creation has had far too much of, <laughs> violence and division and brokenness and power plays. Empower us to be a people who our evangels who are, who live good news and proclaim good news. And, and as we come across hills and valleys and mountains, people proclaim how beautiful on the mountain are those who bring good news, who proclaim peace and salvation and wholeness and restoration. I, I thank you for what, you are doing in the walls of, of this church and in Middleton and through our online campus or ministry. We pray that you would help us be a people who disciple our children well. We pray that you would help us to be 
a people who are warm and hospitable and who each time we gather together, even if there's just two or three, there you are in the midst of us and that presence is a reality that the stranger can feel and recognize and experience. But I pray we would not just be the church gathered each week, but we would be the church scattered each week as well. Help us to be missional. Give us imaginations for what that might mean in some of the communities that we are part of. Communities where your spirit is saying, go, go, go. May we hear that call. God, we thank you for putting us in this valley that's growing. We're not big fans of the traffic, but we're big fans of the people that you are enabling us and giving us the opportunity to be an instrument of grace into their lives. And so we don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Maybe it means we bless and cheer on and support folks who feel called to do that. Maybe you do that in and through us. We're open to however your spirit wants to do that. I pray for those who are online. I am thankful today, God, that you have given us the chance to be connected. And I pray that where they are, that you would give them a, a missional vision for how to be an extension of grace to their neighbor, to their family, to their coworkers. I don't know what dream you have for them or for their friends, but help us to be a part of that and to encourage that, to support that. Um, and today our heart breaks because we are an international church. And so for us, Ukrainians aren't strangers. They're people like my friend, Sylvia. People we love and care about. People we call brother and sister. Be people who in beautiful moments of your church, we gather together and worship in the beauty of the diversity of who you've created us to be. And we pray for a lot of our Russian brothers and sisters today who aren't sure how to be salt and light in the midst of where they are today. They're making decisions of risk and challenge to be a source of light where you've placed them. I pray for our Eurasian regional director and so many people who have leadership in that region who will have so many new challenges to face. I pray for refugees today who've taken all they could carry and have no idea where they're going. I pray for their protection today. Protect them from those who would misuse them, who would take this opportunity of vulnerability to further damage them. But I pray you would help your people and all people to be places of hospitality. And for your people have been strangers too. And your son knows marginalization. So help us to be sheep and not goats. 
who see those in need and do something to respond. Bring peace quickly, we pray. I don't even know how to imagine the complications of the world today. I pray for our leaders and the leaders of other nations. May, may somehow the provenient grace of who you are speak truth and wisdom and goodness and peace and vision in this broken moment. Our hearts are not very much at rest today. And so when we sing, all is at rest, that's more of a faith statement than a reality today. But we are assured that our story and our song is our hope that we have in you. And so help us, help this church to have a posture of mission and to enjoy and delight and find identity in the call that you've given to us to go into the world. For it's in the name of the one who has sent us that we pray. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Perfect submission. All is
Sorry for going long. I just, I wanted us to live into the line of that song all the day long. <laughs> just got to be faithful to the hymn. Um, today is the last day of our annual church year. If you're a member, please, if you haven't voted, uh, do vote. That's important for us. Um, thanks for giving in the alabaster offering this morning. That doesn't just have to be today. You can give to that um, all the day long and all the year long. Uh, that would be great. I do would love for you to come and be part of the Ash Wednesday service at seven o'clock this week as we begin this Lenten season together. But also pay attention during this Lenten season, one of the things we want to do is on Thursday evenings gather together on Zoom. And that's not so much a COVID related thing as much as a desire to be able to include as many people as possible, including some of our online folks. But, but watch for links uh, Thursday nights, probably at seven o'clock, we'll be gathering together on Zoom each of the Thursday nights of Lent to pray. Certainly this week, we'll be praying for the things that we talked about today and for Ukraine. Uh, but one of the Thursday nights, we'll be praying for our children and one Thursday night for our youth and et cetera. And so we'd love for as many of you to join in on that as, as possible. Well, if you've listened well this morning, God gives us a posture to go now into the world as a people on a mission. There's some overwhelming things going on in the world, but he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. So now unto him who by that power at work within us is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine to him be glory in us, this people he has put on a mission and called his church. And in the one who leads us and empowers us and sets the pattern for us, his son, Jesus Christ, now and for all generations. And God's people said, Amen. Go in his peace. Don't.